0: To the South Cliff Podcast, we're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter three. We're going to continue today in a study that I have entitled "Victory: Our New Normal." And what we are doing is watching together, looking at the story of the nation of Israel and how they walk into the promised land. And and we discover that that what God does to bring them into the land of promise, to possess their possession, kind of becomes a pattern that, that we can look to to see how God does the same for us how that God leads us into uh, the promised land of our life, which really is the abundance that he's called us to, victory that God has called us to. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that we come that we can have have life fully. And so as we look today, we we come to a place in this story, chapter 3, where the nation of Israel having wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around without any purpose or sense of direction, on this day, they're going to enter into the land of promise. This one day changes everything. Isn't it amazing how one day can change everything? Most of you have lived long enough to know how one day can change everything in your life. And do you know what? Maybe today is one of those days. What if God chose today to change your life forever. Do do you understand every time we read the Bible, every time we open the scriptures, there is the potential for God to do a life-changing work in our heart. And it might be that today, this this, this is a day that God says, you know what, from this day forward you're going to see things differently. You're going to begin to experience the victory you've always wanted and never thought you could have. This is the day that you're going to take the first step in a direction to possess all that I have for you. Now, it may be that there are some of you that are here today that are not believers. You've not accepted Jesus as your Savior. Most of what I'm going to talk about today in in this series really deals with Christians learning to to walk in the fullness of what God has. But if you're not a Christian and you're here, or or maybe you're listening and you're not a believer, uh, you're just kind of looking over the fence to see what we're doing on the other side. I I want to challenge you, even though the majority of what I'm talking about is directed toward Christians, I, I want to challenge you to listen, pay attention. Because I think when you do, you may discover that what God is offering to us as Christians is something you long for also. That maybe deep inside you want to know that you're forgiven and restored in right fellowship with God, that you want to live life fully and know that when you die you'll spend an eternity and maybe. What we're going to discover together that God has for us as believers is something that that you long for. And so if you listen, maybe you'll discover today that that victory is available to you. And you can experience that. Now, I know what you're going to realize is that you know Christians that are not walking in this victory. We're going to describe a life and you're going to say, Well, I know people that are Christians that are not doing that. But what you're also going to discover is that we're learning. And we're learning to walk in our relationship with God as we move forward. So that said, turn with me to Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to look together at this incredible story, this amazing day. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read several verses and, and kind of pick out those verses that kind of describe the, the, the process of what happens and encourage you to, to spend some time later, perhaps this afternoon, walking through that text. But... We've already looked at a couple of those verses in chapter 3 last time we were together, but for our time together, um, let's begin. I I am going to begin with verse 1, and and, and we'll go down through verse 4, and then we'll kind of jump ahead, and I'll tell you where we're moving as we move forward. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. Now, at the end of three days, the officers went out in the midst of the camp. We all discovered last time we were together, part of the plan to go into the promised lands, hurry up and wait. And they were to wait three days. So it's been the days now, and they're about to go forward. Then look at verse three, and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and its distance about 2,000 cubics by measure, about four and a half football fields. You are to, to, to let the ark get that far ahead before you ever start following. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So he gives them that instruction. Then he tells the Levitical priest to take the Ark and to move forward. And as they do, look with me if you will next at verse 13. And it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Lord, the, the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. Now look, if you will, down to verse 17. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. While all Israel passed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing. Now, as I read this account, one thing becomes clear. The central figure in chapter three is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 10 times in chapter 3. It really is the key to the success they had that day. It it was the one thing that God uses to make the way possible for them to enter into the promise that he had for them. But there's a question that comes to mind when I see that. Why? Why? I mean, it's not like the Ark of the Covenant was brand new. They just got it yesterday. They had had the Ark of the Covenant for years. And even though they had the Ark, they had no victory. If the Ark of the Covenant was the key to victory, it was the key to them experiencing all that God had for them, why didn't they already have it? Why had they wandered around in the wilderness before? Why is it that they had in their possession the very thing that would offer them what they longed for and yet they never had it? And I think the answer to the question is that that it's not the possession of that thing that brought about The victory, it it, it was the position of the ark that brings about victory. Before, the ark of the covenant had always been in their midst. But now for the first time, it's leading the way. Maybe I could say it this way. The ark had always gone with the people. Now the people were going with the ark. It had always accompanied them, but now it goes before them. God said, don't move until you see the ark. And when the ark moves, then you move. And the priests are going to carry the ark of the covenant to the swollen banks of the Jordan. And when their feet enter into the water, God will cause the Jordan River that is already at flood stage, already flooding, to stop. And he causes it to stop where it is flowing down. And now it continues to flow, but he stops it. And as a result of that, the the water stops, but it continues to build on the other side. It, it, It begins to grow as this wall of water is there. And at that point, the Bible says that the the priests are to walk into the middle of the Jordan and they are to stand there with the Ark of the Covenant until all of the nation of Israel cross over on dry ground. It was the Ark that made that possible. Now what I want you to understand is this. As we look and kind of understand how this allows us to know where victory lies in our life. The ark in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the ark of the new covenant, if you will. The the ark symbolized the presence of God among his people. You and I both know that Jesus is the presence of God among his people. He came Emmanuel, God with us. So what the ark was to the nation of Israel, Jesus is for us the presence of God. So that that even gets more confusing. So what you're saying is if Jesus is the ark and, and the people always had the ark, Well, I've had Jesus as my Savior ever since I was nine years old. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior, guess what? You got him then. So you had him all your Christian life, and yet, most of us would not say that our Christian life is described as victorious and abundant. What we are discovering is it's possible to possess Jesus, but not walk in victory because it's not the possession, but the position that brings us to victory. It's not that I have Jesus in my life, but it's that He is first in my life that makes all the difference in the world. It's not the possession, that brings victory, but the position of Jesus that brings victory. The the difference between the victorious Christian and the defeated Christian is not what we possess, because salvation's the same for us. And this is what I want you to understand. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't look down and say, you know what, I'm going to give Carol more of my spirit than I give you. So he's going to get to walk in victory. He's going to get to hear my voice. He's going to be able to walk in my power. But, but that's not for you. Now, You know, sometimes we think that. But I want you to understand something. God didn't play favorites. God's not in heaven saying, I'm going to give some people the opportunity to walk in victory and power and know me personally. And others are not going to have that opportunity. He... he He allows us to recognize that we are literally complete in him, all of us. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, In him the fullness of the deity. In Jesus the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And then he says this, And in him you have been made complete. In him. We've been made complete. The difference is the position of our possession. The difference is the position of Christ in our life. Here's the central truth that we've got to understand. Jesus must be given first place in our life. He must be made Lord. He must be made Master. Now with that in mind, I want us to look at what happens as God leads the nation of Israel into their victory and see how we can learn what God has for us. The first thing that we must do is to to, to enter into this victory that God has for us. The first thing we've got to do is, is to embrace Jesus as the source of our victory. He's the source, just as the the, the Ark of the Covenant was the source that God uses to bring about the victory. Jesus is your source for victory. It it is him that provides us what we are looking for. The the Ark of the Covenant represented the the, the physical presence of God, and, and I believe that Jesus of course, is that physical representative of God on earth, and Jesus provides for us all that we will need to experience the fullness of God. If they wanted the fullness of God, they had to follow the ark. If they wanted to know the promise of God, they followed the ark. I think if we want to know and claim as our possession and our experience the blessings that God has for us, we must follow Jesus. He's got to be first in our life. Because victory doesn't happen by living a certain way. The victorious Christian life doesn't happen. We don't get to go and buy you know, a book for victorious living for dummies. And we pick that up. And if you do this, 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 and this, then you will walk in victory. And there are some that try to, to, to provide for us some kind of formula, but I'm, I'm convinced that there's not a formula that, we've, that we follow. It's a person. It's Jesus. He is our victory. He is our peace. You see, we don't just go to Jesus and say, would you give me peace? Will you give me grace? Will you? He is our peace. If I have him, I have peace. What did Colossians say? I'm complete in him. You, you, you can't fix complete. It, it's done. I already have in Jesus everything I need. I, I don't need anything else. I don't have to say, God, give me peace. I already have peace. I have him. And when I understand that I, because I have him, I have peace, and in him I have mercy, and in him I have grace, and in him I have wisdom and knowledge and power and purpose, and everything I need in life to be victorious, I have in him. So that when I make him Lord and when I follow him fully, The result is victory. And the real neat thing about that is that that victory is not connected to anything that happens around us or to us. You see, this is the reason that a person can be put in prison because of his commitment to Christ and still have victory. You can take everything away from him he owns, put him in prison, and he still has joy. Because he has Jesus. He has peace because he has Jesus. See, over and over again, when Paul was thrown into prison, those that would throw him in prison couldn't understand. What can you do to this guy? There's nothing we can do to him. Everywhere he goes, he has joy and victory and peace. In fact, this guy's got what every one of us want and can't find. It's because he discovered that he has everything he needs in in Christ years ago I had an opportunity to see this about 70 miles south of Mexico City Mexico we had traveled to Mexico City and from there about 70 miles away doing ministry in a mountainous area and I met while I was there the richest person I've ever known And I've met a lot of wealthy people in my life. I've met a lot of successful businessmen, businesswomen. I've met multimillionaires, but I've never met anybody as wealthy as a woman I met, 70 miles into the hill country, south of Mexico City. I remember, like yesterday, walking in her house. Her little house was probably about the size of your bedroom, she had a front door but no door it was just an opening one window that was just an opening and the floor was dirt this woman didn't even have a changing of clothes because there was no closet and no clothes hanging on the wall over to one side was a little pallet on the floor where she slept on the other side was a pit where there was a fire that was the kitchen and Her cupboard was one shelf on the wall, and all she owned was on that shelf. There was a coffee cup. There was a pot. There was a little pan that we sometimes would use to cook cookies on a cookie sheet that she used as a cook stop. for the the fireplace there that she cooked on. And there were two things beyond that on the shelf. There was an onion and there was a lime. And that's it. I walked in having experienced the abundance that we all have today. When we open our cupboard and try to figure out what we want or we open the refrigerator just to look inside as we do this woman only had two things I thought to myself when I saw her this tragic she's such a precious lady loves God it was obvious she was so excited to have us in her home she was so honored to have us we were there in her village sharing the gospel with people and she had family that she wanted to hear the gospel and she was so excited that we were present and so she went out of her way to invite us into her home and and, and so we come into her home there were four of us that walk into the home crowded in that little area and, and she asked us to sit down and she was so excited to tell us the story of how she came to faith in christ and as she was doing it she reached on the shelf and, and she removed the onion and the lime and with great care I watched her get that little pan and she took that onion and she sliced it in pieces and she took that lime and she cut it in in half and she squeezed lime juice over the onion and then she offered to us the only thing she had onion slices covered with lime juice Now, I don't like onions. But I took it, and I ate it, and I'll have to tell you it was amazing because God taught me something that day. That day became one of those days where I realized this woman has more than I do this woman has something that I don't have. There was a joy that was so deep. There was a love that was so rich. There was a gratitude that, that, that just came out in, in every expression, in every smile. Here I discovered what real victory looks like. It's not the size of your bank account. It's not the the, the dream house that you have. You can have all that stuff, and many of us do right now have all that stuff, but yet there's no victory. There's no joy. How is that possible, though? Because the reason she had that joy is because she had Jesus, and I did too. How can she have Jesus and have in him joy and peace and contentment and victory when I can't seem to find it. It's because victory is not in the possession of Jesus, but the position of Jesus in our life. She had Jesus and that's all she needed. And he had brought a victory unconnected to anything else in life. So, why is it that if I have everything I need in me to have victory that why is it that i don't have victory? well, let, let me share with you a real quick story. I have three sons, and I learned something in the birth of my my sons watching my first one was born, there was some problems, and uh, an emergency situation arose, and so uh my Tanya had to have a, a, an emergency C-section. So it was a little while before she saw the baby that she gave birth to. She was asleep when he was born with a cesarean section. They literally put her to sleep, and it, it was not an epidural or anything. They had to put her to sleep. And so it was hours later. I'd already seen Michael, but it was hours later before she ever was able to hold him. And I, I remember being in the room when she was a little bit draggy when they brought him, and they put him in her arms. few years later we had daniel daniel another kind of an emergency situation she was seven months pregnant and her appendix ruptured and she had to have her appendix removed while she's seven months pregnant so that means that they they cut and one doctor holds the baby over here while the other one gets your appendix takes it out stitches you up which creates a whole new meaning to the baby kicking After you've had surgery and you sew that up and then they put you back in a room and Daniel's still alive and well in there. Well, about three days later, he ends up, they can't keep him from from coming. He comes early at, at seven months as well. And so we went through the same kind of thing because it was a surgery, and because it was an emergency. it was several hours before she was be able to see him and and I saw him first, and then we were able to, we weren't able to hold him for several months, but they they were able to roll her into the room where he was, and she was able to kind of reach over it and look at him it wasn't until the third one comes along, the third one, the biggest one where everything went great, you know the way it was supposed to and and um, and, and, the, and when John was born, uh, the nurse took him over to the side and do all the stuff that they have to do and taking care of him and they bundle him all up and they bring him back and they hand him to her and I saw her do the same thing with him that she had done with with the other two and I can't say that this is something that every woman does but I, I, I think it might be I've seen it on television and it happened there too when you give the baby to the mom She unwraps him. And she looks him over. Right? She just kind of, I mean, they had him all wrapped up, and I mean it was cool. They had him, I mean, he was wrapped up. He was tight, couldn't go anywhere, and first thing Tanya does is unwrap him. I I wanna, and she inspects every part of him. I want to make sure everything's there. There's five fingers on every hand, there's five toes on both feet, there's feet, all this stuff. You know, you know what I've discovered? At birth, God gives us everything we need to be physically victorious. But that baby doesn't know what to do with his feet. In fact, he didn't even know he has them. But he got it in the beginning, right? I mean, we don't wait till it's time for them to walk and then go back to the hospital and say, okay, can you put the legs on now? We're ready to to move. No, their legs come standard equipment. And one day, that little baby discovers that what I've been dragging behind me will support me. And when they stand on those legs, everything in their world changes. And the same is true for us. When you accept Jesus as your savior, you get everything you need to be successful. And we learn over time how to apply the victory that is already there in him. How to make him first in our life. That's the first step, that he's got to be king. He's got to be Lord. He's got, he, he, he has got to be in control we got to come to the place where, where we say, Jesus, I have you, and in you is all I need to walk in victory and live in abundance. And as we begin to grow spiritually, we discover how God has given us his spirit, how to walk in the spirit, how to be complete in him, how to appropriate all that God has for us. So the ark has to be First and we have to submit to it and follow it or we'll never enter into the victory. Jesus, whom you have because you've accepted him as Savior, must be first or you'll never know the victory that he offers. Is it possible that he's not first in your life? Is it possible that you're asking God for peace and comfort and wisdom and all this stuff while you're living a life that is inconsistent with him being Lord? Is it possible that right now there are things in your life that are more important to you than God? and, And as long as those things are first, you'll never know the victory that God has for you. And maybe today is the day for you to say, you know what? Lord, I want you to be first. Nothing else matters but you. There are things in my life that have slipped into a first place slot, but I, I, I want to confess to you, God, that it doesn't belong in the first place of my life, and I want you to be first. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be that, that you, you, all that you want. I want all there is that i can have of you but i want to tell you something that starts by giving to him all there is of you and it may be that some of you have held something back and for years you know exactly what i'm talking about because for years god's put his finger and says i want that right there and you're like no i'll give you anything in anything but that and i'm afraid to give you that we have an enemy that wants to make us afraid you don't have to be afraid of God the Bible says perfect love cast out all fear God loves you you don't have to be afraid of him so let go and let him be first and that my friend is the first step to moving into the victory that's already yours in him let's pray father i thank you for this time today and i pray that that god you'll speak to us put your finger holy spirit on the area of our life that needs to be given to you again afresh and anew there are some in this room that need to give you a relationship we need to give you a decision we need to give you our dream we need to give you our hope our desires Those things have got to be given to you so that we can embrace your victory, your plan. Father, help us understand we don't have to be afraid to give that to you. You love us, and what you have for us is so much better than anything we could come up with ourselves. So, Father, for all of us in the room who know you, we've got in us all that we need. Now, I pray that we would submit to that which is in us, Jesus. To live as you've called us to. Give you everything completely afresh and anew. If there's one here who's never accepted you, I pray that today would be the day that they would say, that's what I need to do. I want to give Jesus my everything so that I can have his victory. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at South Cliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. To share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.